our Father in heaven. Every time I even say our Father in heaven, it's such a privilege to know that you are our God and our Father and our friend. And Lord, as we come on this morning to open the word, to meditate upon things that are much larger than us, we ask for the gift of the Holy Spirit, which is the only effectual teacher of truth. And we ask this and we claim this in the name of Jesus and claiming the merits of his holy and most precious blood. Amen. This morning we're going to pick up where we left off last night. And don't worry, if you weren't here last night, you'll catch on quite quickly. We're talking about Jesus. Is that all right? And we're talking about Jesus in the context of this great controversy between good and evil. We saw that this warfare began in heaven, and it's going all the way down to the end of time. And we paid attention to a particular verse, and I want you to open your Bibles. We're going to look at it again in Revelation chapter 12. Go there with me. In Revelation chapter 12, beginning again at verse number 1, Revelation chapter 12, beginning at verse number 1. I just want to highlight this as we get again nail down this key point in preparation for our soon coming king. In Revelation chapter 12, verse 1, it says, And there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, and the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of twelve stars. And she, being with child, cried, travailing in birth, and pained to be delivered. And there appeared another wonder in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns, and seven crowns upon his heads. And his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven and did cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman, which was ready to be delivered, for to devour her child as soon as it was born. So the idea is very simple. This dragon is not interested necessarily in the woman herself. The dragon is interested in the child. The dragon is interested in that child, for the child is based upon the promise in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, where it says that this seed would crush the head of the serpent. And so the dragon is seeking to devour the child as soon as it is born. There is something special about this child. We began to go through the great history of the people of God and the history of the people of Satan. We saw that the history of the people of God was to protect the covenant. They were guardians of the law of God. They were guardians of the principles and the nature of heaven. And there has always been a people that has been fighting against that covenant. There's always been a people that have come up against the covenant-keeping people of God. Throughout every generation, there's no generation that has come on the scene that has not come up against the wily foe of Satan through whatever nation, whatever individual, whatever tribe, there's always been a nation. If there was Israel, there were the Jebusites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Egyptians and the Babylonians, each nation rising up against the chosen nation of God. We came all the way down to our time, the remnant church of God. And God's remnant church is going to come up against Babylon the Great. Babylon the Great's no small potato. <laughs> Babylon the Great is a confederation of all the evil, of all times, all wrapped into one, intentional on making sure that the seed does not fulfill the reality of the promise. And my friends, God is about to do his thing. And I'm going to show with you today, by God's grace, we'll see how far we can progress. But I'm going to show with you today the intent that God has in this great plan of salvation with this body, this small body, the remnant people of God. Is that all right? So let's begin. We're talking about Jesus. I told you every day, by God's grace, I'm going to go to John chapter 1. So let's go to John chapter 1. Favorite section in scripture. John chapter 1, beginning again at verse number 1. John chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. It says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God, and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. And the life was the, what's it say, my friends? The life was the light of men. Now, this is very important because the reality is, my friends, without the life of Christ, we would all, whether you're saved or not, would be complete, utter, total darkness. 
So Jesus is the light. He is the light that shineth upon every man that comes into this world. Verse 14, and the word was made flesh. What was it made again, my friends? Flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, again, the reason why we are highlighting this passage is because the enemy of souls who was in the direct presence of God, who got to, to see God without veiling his face, who was made of all these wonderful gems and jewels and whatnot, leaving the direct presence of God and spreading lies about the character and person of God. So God had to send his son in the likeness of flesh. And I had you last night, pinch your skin. This is flesh. He put this on. What a wonderful thought. A thought, in, in fact, I think, I think of it this way from time to time. Again, it only, uh, in a small way, explains this idea. But you have God, you have angels, and you have men. Is that right? God, angel, and man. Just imagine for a moment if you were to step down from manhood and the next level beyond manhood would be like mammals, some type of animal, right? But then the next step after that is some type of insect. How many of you want to become an insect? How about a cockroach? Anybody want to die for a bunch of cockroaches? It's, it's as if God, in his great mind, steps down from godhood. He does not become an angel. He becomes a man? What a wonderful thought. What kind of God is this who would humble himself to become like us? But let's go a little bit further with this. In John chapter 1 verse 18 says, No man have seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath, what does it say, declared him. Now take this thought back. I want you now to go with me to the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews. We're going to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2, and we're going to begin reading at verse number 7. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse number 7. Hebrews 2 and verse 7. The Bible says, Thou madest him a little lower than the angels, speaking of man. Thou crownest him with glory and honor. And it is set him over the works of thy hand. So God, when he created man, created man above the animals, he set him over the works of his hand. Over all creation, God set him. Now, again, reading further, it says in verse 8, Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet. For in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him, but now we see yet not all things put under him. Okay, what is that riddle of a text saying? You have your hand here. Don't lose Hebrews. We're going to come back to Hebrews. I want you to go to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. And I want us to begin reading at verse 26. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26. The Bible says, and God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let him have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his image, male and female created he them. Now, I ask you a question. If I gave you one opportunity, just one, you can't use more than one word, you can only use one word. To describe God, you only get one chance. What word would you use? Love. Someone said creator. That's good, too. But love. I, I'm going to go with that one. Love. So when God created man, listen now. When God created man, God created man in his own image. He made man in the image of love. Now, I'm going to read the text again with that same concept in mind in Genesis 1:26, where it says, And God said, or love said, Love said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let love have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and ever, over every creeping thing that creepeth on, upon the earth. So love created love in his own image and in the image of love created he him male and female. Did you get it, my friends? When God created man, he created men with the reflection of himself, the principle of love being the governing 
power and the governing influence over all creation. Are you following? Over all creation. So when mankind steps away from the principles of God, love no longer has dominion. All things are no longer under his feet. In fact, I'll tell you the secret. The secret of the preservation of the universe, the secret of health, life, strength, the secret of it all is the principle and the undergirdings of love. Yesterday we used a different word. We used the word righteousness. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Yesterday we used the word righteousness being the principle that is the centerfold of all of the sanctuary. Righteousness is the center of it all. Love. We saw righteousness is equivalent to the character and person of God. But let's go a little bit further with this. I want to take you here. I'm going to pass this. He is the creator. And we went here yesterday. We saw that the very attributes of the character of God and the law of God are equivalent. So I'm not going to go over every point, but this is an exact replica, whether it's holiness or truthfulness or righteousness or perfection or spirituality or eternality or unchangeableness or the very principle of love, the character of God and the law of God are a perfect reflection of himself. But I'm going to give you something more here. It says the law of God. Now watch, brothers and sisters, when I read this for the first time, and again, I've asked God for something special, and I want him to teach me how life works. Now understand, life is much more than how we perceive it at times. But the undergirdings, the underpinnings of it, I'm going to show you right here. It says the law of God is as sacred as what, my friends? God himself. It is a revelation of his will, a transcript of his character, the expression of divine love and wisdom. The harmony of creation depends upon the perfect conformity of all beings, of everything, animate and inanimate, to the law of the creator. Now, uh, animate, tell me what animate means. What does animate mean? What, is, what does animate mean? Alive. Animate is alive. So inanimate, what is inanimate? It's not alive, right? So right now you're sitting in chairs. Those chairs are inanimate. But these chairs, though they are inanimate, are built based on law. So everything in creation is dependent upon obedience to law. Watch. The harmony of creation depends upon the perfect conformity of all beings, of everything, animate and inanimate, to the law of the creator. God has ordained laws for the government of not only, uh, government not only of living beings, but of all the operations of nature. <laughs> Everything's based on law. Again, I, 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 I dared you yesterday. If you want to jump, go on top of the building, jump off. What law goes into operation, everyone? Gravity. I don't care if you have a philosophy, a theory, some theological point, some philosophical point you argued in seminary, your PhD, it doesn't matter. The law of gravity will go into operation as soon as you jump off. Yes or no? Yes. But everything is based on law. True joy is based on law. Happiness in the home is based on law. Church growth is based on law. Organization is based on law. Law, if followed, will bring harmony and peace and joy. But we're in a conundrum because the reality is we are lawless by nature. Are you hearing what I'm saying? But when I read this quote, I thought it was absolutely phenomenal. I thought it was amazing. I thought it was amazing. The principle of life, the undergirdings of life based on law. But there's more to this. Patriots and Prophets 52, paragraph 3 says, Everything is under fixed laws, which cannot be disregarded. But while everything in nature is governed by natural laws, watch this now, man alone. What does man alone mean? There's no other creation. Now, mind you, I thought about this because if you think of a a deer, let's say there's deer, and a wolf goes eat the deer. If the wolf eats the deer... 
The Bible does not consider that wolf committing any act of sin because it has no morals. It's a creature. It is natural law based upon the fall of, 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 of sin. Are you following the idea? So animals don't commit sin. They are affected by sin, but they are not moral creatures. But man alone, of all the inhabitants of the earth, is amenable to moral law. Watch this now. To man, the crowning work of creation. Now, why would man be the crowning work of creation? To man, the crowning work of creation, God has given power to understand his requirements and to comprehend the justice and beneficence of his law and its sacred claims upon him. Now, watch the next part I'm going to put up here. Natural laws, moral law. Natural law, moral law. Now, we're, re we're responsible for both. Mankind has the ability to understand both natural law and moral law. But above all else, the reason why we are the crowning work of his creation, it has to do with that moral law. Okay? Pay attention. And of man, watch this now. And of man unswerving obedience is, what's the word right there? Is it optional? It's not optional. Unswerving obedience is required. Now, if unswerving obedience is required in regards to both natural and moral law, it is indicative of the fact then that we must understand both. We must be intentional to understand natural and moral law, above all else, moral law. If we do not intentionally look to understand moral law, we will continue in this cycle of sin until God can do nothing else but destroy us. Are you following me so far, my friends? Because if we can find the science behind moral law, then we can find the science of how to truly be at peace with each other and with God and with nature, and heaven can be on earth. But God's not going to take people to heaven that don't fully cooperate in these last hours of rescission. I'm going to show you something. This is from Proverbs chapter 3, verse 19, and 3, verse 20. You're going to see this text, and I'm going to show you once more. It says, The Lord by wisdom hath found the earth, by understanding hath he established the heavens. By his knowledge the depths are broken up and the clouds drop down the dew. Now I'm going to show you this. I'm going to pass this though. I'm going to, we'll come back to this later. Now look at the comparison between the two texts. I'm going to read it again. The Lord by wisdom hath found the earth. By understanding hath he established the heavens. By his knowledge the depths are broken up and the clouds drop down the dew. Now Proverbs 20, and that's talking about the creation of the earth. Does everybody see that? Now look on the other side here. Proverbs 24 verse 4 says, Through wisdom is an house builded. Well, that seems very interesting. It says through wisdom was the earth founded. But here it says by wisdom a house is built. By understanding it is established. By understanding have he established the heavens. By his knowledge the depths are broken up. By knowledge shall the chambers be filled with precious and pleasant riches. The same principles that were the establishment of creation are the same principles that are the establishment of the home. So tell me, well, as you were, as you were uh, thinking about this, remember yesterday I, I, I was like, so how many of you have creative power just to speak light into existence? Anybody have that ability? Let there be light. And there was light. Let there be fish in the sea. Fish in the sea. Let there be birds in the air. And they're flying off. So none of us have that ability of our natural selves to make that happen. So how is it possible that you think you can make a happy home without the word? It is a supernatural intervention in order for husband and wife to be one. Supernatural intervention for husband, wife, and child to have unity. Supernatural intervention for a convocation with people in it, whether it be one or two or three or ten, if it's going to be successful in any way, Jesus, the Word, must be the center of that meeting. And it doesn't require more than two or three. The Bible says where two or three are gathered in his name. Where is he, my friends? In the midst. 
So my desire, your desire, our desire should be, Father, we want your word to be here. We want life to be in the midst of us so that we can reflect your character and leave this place reflecting you to every person, to every ministry, to whoever we come in contact with. But it's a supernatural thing. It is not simply my own ingenuity that makes things happen. No, 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 no. The Lord by wisdom, by his word, these things are established. Whether it be the planet Earth or whether it be your home, both are established upon the word. Both are established on the word. Let's read this. God has finished his creative work. God has finished his creative work, but his energy is still exerted in upholding the objects of his creation. It is not because the mechanism that has once been set in motion continues his work by its own inherent energy that the pulse beats and the breath follows breath. That's interesting. But every breath, every pulsation of the heart is an evidence, listen to this, is an evidence of the all-pervading care of him in whom we live and have our being. It is not because of their inherent power that year by year the earth produces her bounties and continues her motion around the sun. The hand of God guides the planets and keeps them in position in their orderly march through the heavens. It is through his power that vegetation flourishes, that the leaves appear and the flowers bloom. His word controls the elements, and by him the valleys are made fruitful. He covers the heavens with clouds and prepares rain for the earth. He maketh grass to grow upon the mountains. He giveth snow like wool. He scattereth the hoarfrost like ashes. When he uttereth his voice, there is a multitude of waters in the heavens, and he causes the vapors to ascend from the ends of the earth. He maketh lightnings with rain and bringeth forth the wind out of his treasure. Nothing functions except by the word. But I want to go back for a second. Uh, there's one particular part I just want to pay attention to. It says, it is not because of the mechanism that has once been set in motion, continues his work by his own inherent energy, that the pulse beats. Wait. Go ahead. This is, put your fingers here. Go ahead. Pulse beats. Based on what we read, how's that happening? God is intentionally making my heart beat. He's interested in me right now. Paul's beating. Breath follows breath. Personal God. I, I, I want you to understand this, this idea. He's making this happen. Whether you obey law or not right now, he's allowing this breath to go after breath, beat after beat, because he's intentional in his love for us. He wants us to begin to understand. In fact, let me go a little bit further here. This is creation. I was going to give you a quiz, but I know you know all the answers, right? Day one was light. Day two was firmament. Day three was earth and sea. If you notice that God creates the space before he puts stuff in it. You see it? Day one is light, but then day four is sun, moon, and stars. How did that happen? Somebody should be asking questions. How did light come before there was a sun? The firmament is created for both land creatures and on all those birds and all that, and then he puts the birds in the air and the fish in the sea on day five. Day three, he makes earth and sea, and then he makes beasts, man. He creates the space before he fills it. That's a principle. That's a law, my friends. Before you get married, you need to make sure you have a space. Anybody heard me? Day seven, the day of rest. We know that day to be the seventh day Sabbath, the creation of man. I'm gonna, now I'm going to go very quickly in, the re, in regards to the creation of man. What was the nature of man before the fall? And what was God's purpose in the creation of man? We read in Genesis chapter, chapter 1, verse 26. It says, and God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, 
male and female, created he them. Genesis 5.1 says, this is the book of generations of Adam. In the day that God created man in the likeness of God, made he him. Please note, God created man in the likeness of God. Don't worry, we're going to emphasize it more. Male and female created he them and blessed them and called their name, called their name Adam or Ish in the day when they were created. This is from the book Education. Watch carefully. When God came, when Adam came, sorry, when Adam came from the creator's hand, he bore in his physical, mental, and spiritual nature a likeness to his maker. So when I was younger, I always thought we were created in the image of God, and I thought that meant in his character. But no, we were created in his image. Y'all not hearing anything I'm saying. We were created in his image. Think about it for a moment. Lucifer falls from heaven. He's kicked out of heaven. He comes and God creates the earth because Lucifer gets to see God create the earth. He creates the earth and God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man becomes a living soul. When he sees what God is forming, Lucifer becomes extremely afraid because when he sees Adam, he sees who, my friend? He sees God. When he sees Adam, he sees a reflection of God in that creation. He sees God. And he is afraid. Do you understand? When he first steps to kind of tempt, he's not trying to do that on, you know, he had to observe first. He was like, is this God or not? When he steps to tempt Adam and Eve, he looks and he sees the image of God. Now, if you were to observe my daughter, you might think she looks like my wife, or you might think she looks like me. However it goes, she looks like one of us. You can kind of tell what tribe people are from if you look at them long enough. I know, I know the Wilbur tribe. I know the Lemon tribe. I know where they've come from. I can see the reflection of their parents in the children. You look long enough, you can see reflections I know the Jones family. Huh? You pay attention long enough, you watch and see there's a familial relationship there. When God created man, he made a man in his own image. He bore in his physical, mental, and spiritual nature a likeness to his maker. God created man in his own image. And watch this. And it was his purpose. We asked, what was the purpose of God in the creation of man? It was God's purpose that the longer man lived, the more fully he should reveal this image, the more fully reflect the glory of his, what's it say? This was the intention in the creation of man. You think his intent has changed? Do you think God's intent has changed? No, I, I think not. You ever seen like couples get married and then all of a sudden as the years go by, they start looking like each other? How does that happen? I mean, they literally start, like, favoring each other. Like, they were, there's oneness on the, on, the, on the physical level they start looking alike. The more fully they should reveal his image. What's happening? It's in that fellowship. Listen to me, brothers and sisters. You might, you might be concerned that there's not a whole lot of people here. I say this is a good thing. Because now you get to spend a little bit more time alone. Y'all not hear what I'm saying. You get to spend some more time in nature, walking and communing with God, making sure there's no separation between you and him. He's called you aside right now to rest a while. The trials of the next few years, of the next few months are going to be intense. Let me, let me tell you, it, the, those who are seeking to come close to Christ right now, those who are pressing in to know who he is right now, the enemy of souls is going to do everything in his power to hide Jesus from your view. And, he, and I'm going to say it this way. He may seek to do it by making you think and focus on the Pope and the beasts of the world. 
and I'm not saying it's wrong to be aware of end time events. What I'm saying is your focus. The Bible, doesn't, the Bible says those who wonder after the beast, that means those who are focusing on the beast, will go into the pit with the beast. But those who have their focus on the lamb, wherever the lamb goes, that's where they go. Is that right, my friends? You remember, now, when Peter walked on water, he walked on water not because he was focused on the storm. The storm is coming, relentless in its fury. Are you prepared to meet it? Quote. The only way you're prepared to meet the storm is if your eyes are on Jesus. That is the only way to walk on water. That's the only way to fight against temptation. Where are your eyes fixed, my friends? He may. Now listen, again, I speak this. Follow what I'm saying. I don't want you to take offense to what I'm saying. But hey, let's say you know that you need to do dress reform and you begin to focus on your dress reform. If you focus on dress reform without God reform, without focusing on Christ, your dress reform will simply be a means of beating people up. Same thing with health. Christ must be our super number one focus and all these other things will be given unto us. We were made in the image of God and the more fully we were to do this, we were to do this because we were in his presence over a longer period of time. Now mind you, Genesis chapter 2 verse 18, go there very quickly. Genesis chapter 2 verse 18. Genesis 2 verse 18, the Lord God and the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him and help meet for him. And out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all the cattle and to the fowl of the air and to every beast of the field. And for Adam, there was not found a help meet for him. And the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam. And he slept and took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman, Isha, and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, this is now bone of thy bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, she should be called woman. Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. It's the same, it's the same language that's used when it talks about David, and he's the king. And the, the, the tribe of Judah comes to him and says, we will want you to be king over us because you are bone of our bone and flesh of our flesh. I wonder, why did Jesus become a man? Because he wanted to have bone of our bone and flesh of our flesh. New creation is in this new creation of humanity. We are now in this covenant relationship with God, this special union. Let's go a little bit further. You know this one. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. 1 Corinthians 13, the whole chapter is about, what is it about, my friend? Love. Supreme love for God and unselfish love for one another. This is the best gift that our Heavenly Father can bestow. What's the best gift that our Heavenly Father can bestow? Supreme love for God and unselfish love for one another. This is the best gift. I tell you the truth. I've traveled the, a, a large portion of this world. The worst thing in the church has to be a gossiping, backbiting people. I don't care what church, I don't care what ministry, it is a people that truly love and care for each other. We, listen, if somebody dropped dead from one Sabbath to the next, it wouldn't bother us until they came back and said, hey, where you been? But the whole time they were gone, it doesn't burden our heart that they are not present. The love, this love is not an impulse. But what does it say it is? What is it, my friends? A divine principle, a permanent power. The unconsecrated heart cannot originate 
or produce it. Now watch the word only. Only, only, only in the heart where Jesus reigns is it found. We love him because he first loved us. In the heart renewed by divine grace, love is the ruling principle of action. It modifies the character, governs the impulses, controls the passions, and ennobles the affection. This love cherished in the soul sweetens the life and sheds a refining influence on all around. So tell me, tell me, tell me, tell me, tell me. How is it possible that if you're a present truth person that you, are, you come across as bristly? You know what bristly is? It's like, it's like you can't even get a hug. What's wrong with you? Why, why present truth had to be thug life? Love, brothers and sisters. Love is the reflection of the character and person of God. Now, yes, are there times that you are solemn? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. But brothers and sisters, we, we, it's almost like we expect to go through because we're tough. We're not going to go through because we're tough. We're going to go through because we're weak. And he is strong. We're not going to go through because we, we've, 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 we've I've disciplined, I've disciplined myself. I've prepared. No, no, no. We're going to go through because we were on our knees realizing that we're so weak. We can't do this without him. I need him every moment of every day, through every trial, through every temptation. That's the only way to make it. The reason why it burdens me like this is because I've been around for a little bit. Only, I've only been around one generation now, for 40 years. <laughs> I just got through the, the first of my generation, 40 years. You know, when you've been 40 years wandering in the wilderness and you're not home yet, it means we've made a massive mistake. It means we made a, a miscalculation somehow. We got rerouted, got lost in our direction somewhere, correct? And I believe, brothers and sisters, the reality is we have not let God do a supernatural work on the inside where he writes his law in our hearts. He is responsible. He puts the enmity there. He makes us truly Christians. We don't make ourselves Christians. We don't do it, and we can't do it. We have to submit to him to do it. Isaiah 43, 7. Even everyone that is called by my name, for I have created him for my... What's it say, my friends? That's why God created us for his glory. I have formed him, yea, I have made him. Isaiah 46, 13 says, I bring near my righteousness. do, Do you see? God says, I bring near my righteousness. It shall not be far off, and my salvation shall not tarry, and I will place salvation in Zion for Israel, my glory. Again, God taking responsibility, he brings salvation. So what was the nature of man before the fall, and what is God's purpose in creating mankind? I'm going to pass that one. Physical, mental, spiritual nature and likeness to that of his maker. Likeness to that of his maker. And it was his purpose that the longer man lived, the more fully he would reveal this image and more fully reflect the glory of the creator. So I'm going to give you another challenge. I I give you a challenge last night, I'm going to give you another one. As the day goes by, let's press as close as we can to Jesus. And and do you realize when Moses was in the presence of God, he didn't realize that his face was glowing? So it's not like as you press closer to him, you're going to have this great revelation. Like It's more like as you press closer to him, the more faulty you're going to appear the more sinful is going to be evident because he's so perfect in all his ways. The trick is, as he shows you how imperfect you are, do not walk away. Stay close. 
Because it's evident as you press close to him and your faults begin to appear that the delusions of Satan are falling from your eyes. You are, are beginning to see the reality of the perfection and the righteousness of God. So press close to him. My challenge is press close. Don't let anyone rob you of pressing close to him during this time frame. Don't let anyone or any digital device. His faculties were capable of development. Their capacity and vigor were to continually increase. Vast was the scope offered for their exercise. Glorious to feel for their research. The mysteries of the visible universe, the wondrous works of him which is perfect in knowledge, invited man's study. Face to face, heart to heart, communion with his maker, was his high privilege. So we have the fallen man, Genesis 3. And I have a few more minutes, and then I'm going to let you go. And Genesis chapter 3, and we're going to begin in verse number 1. You have it there. Genesis 3, verse 1. Genesis 3 and verse number 1. The Bible says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God made. And he said unto, man, un, unto the woman, Yea, have God said, ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and the tree desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. The eyes of them both were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together, and made themselves aprons. Now when you read that passage, when you read that passage, as you observe that, that text, here the woman is conversing with the serpent. Um, now, when we look at it now, we look at the text like right now, you say, like, I would never talk to a snake. But it wasn't a snake, it was a serpent. If you read how inspiration describes the serpent, one of the most beautiful creatures ever. Had wings, could fly. It, as it flew, it, it reflected in the light. And mind you, it's not like Adam... And Eve knew everything about creation, so now they're walking around, and she sees this creature and is speaking in a melodious voice on enchanted ground. It, when you look at the text, again, we, we, we look at it and say, she should have never did that. So I'm going to ask you a question. When's the last time the serpent talked to you? Remember now, I told you it was beautiful, it was enchanting, it was melodious, it wasn't with a pitchfork and red tights, it was designed beautifully, attractive. When's the last time the serpent spoke to you? We, 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 blame, this, we blame Eve for the mess, but not recognizing she's the mother. We, we reflect her behavior. No, we can't blame Eve for this. In fact, God didn't blame Eve. He blamed Adam. Never blamed Eve one time. Adam, you knew. Adam is because of you. It's the man's fault. You knew better. Hmm. So Genesis chapter 3. We read this already. It says, had he remained loyal to God, all this would have been forever. Speaking of this relationship. Throughout eternal ages, he would have continued to gain new treasures of knowledge, to discover fresh springs of happiness, and to obtain clearer and yet clearer conceptions of the wisdom, the power, and the love of God. But what happened? More and more fully would he have fulfilled the object of his creation. More and more fully have reflected the creator's glory. This is God's intent in the creation of men. Never intended that sin would come into play. Never intended that sorrow would come into play. But something's happened. Disobedience. When Eve bites the fruit. The method of education for Adam and Eve in relation to growing closer and closer to God changes. Mind you, when they tilled the ground, 
didn't have to do it with the sweat of their brow. They could talk to plants. <laughs> they can train them. But it wasn't like pulling weeds. Anybody pull weeds before? Yeah, we pull weeds, man. We, we, in our garden, we don't just pull weeds. We pull rocks. Huh? It was never intended that man would have to go to that level to go, not intended. Pain never intended. That type of struggle never intended. But because of disobedience, disobedience equals a distortion of the image. So we don't look, now we don't look like our creator so much so. You know, 6,000 years of sin, there's some distortions going on. I mean, if you look at your face this morning, did you see any? I always see mine. <laughs> Disobedience equals distortion. God's intent in the creation of man was that he could just go, do, things would grow, flourish, it was peaceful, but now this sweat pain, struggle. Disconnection equals image distortion. It was the will of God. Listen now. It was the will of God that Adam and Eve should not know evil. The knowledge of good had been freely given them, but the knowledge of evil, of sin and its results, of wearing toil, of anxious care, of disappointment and grief, of pain and death, this was in love, what's it say? With hell. Well, that's interesting. Let's read it again. It was the will of God that Adam and Eve should not know evil. The knowledge of good had been freely given them, but the knowledge of evil, of sin and its results, of wearying toy, of anxious care, of disappointment, of grief, of pain and death, this was in love with hell. So when God created man, he never intended for us to know any of that stuff in the middle. God never intended for us to know sorrow or pain and, and sadness and all these different... It was not his intent in the creation of man. Sin comes in, there's a distortion. Let me see if I put the answer up. I didn't. Go with me to the book of Genesis now. Go to Genesis chapter 3 again. I want to jump down to verse number 15. Watch verse 15 now. Actually, let's start at verse 9 because I, I do want to get a little bit of context. So Adam and Eve walk in the cool of the garden. They, they hide from God. Verse 9. And the Lord called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And remember, whenever God asks a question, he's not asking because he doesn't know. Okay? If, heaven ever, if you ever get the Holy Spirit ask you, why are you doing this? He's not asking you because he doesn't know. He's asking you so you can have some self-realization self of what's transpiring in your experience, right? And the Lord called unto Adam and said unto him, where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, who told thee that thou was naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee, thou shouldest not eat? And the man said, The woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. And the Lord said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. Um, I'm going to pause for a second and just stop right here and just analyze this. So if you lose your temper, it's the other person's fault? If you overeat, it's because they put the food in front of you? I'm just asking. It's me. I have a problem. It's not the church member that has the problem. It's me that has a problem. Because the reality is, how many people have sinned? How many? How many? Oh. If you wanted to blame everybody else for the rest of your life for your bad behavior, you could because everybody sins. But your bad behavior, at the end of the day, if I have a glass of water up here and I knock the glass over, what comes out of the glass? Now, who had the water in the glass? That's me. I have water in the glass. So if the glass has water and let's say the water is anger, what comes out? Okay, in the glass is uh, uh, promiscuousness, sleeping around, knock the glass over. What comes out? 
Yeah. That, that comes out because it's in the glass. If you knock the glass over, only love is in there, then what comes out? It's what is inside, my friends. When it comes out and you see it, don't blame other people for what comes out. You had it in you the whole time. Again, the idea is that we're reflecting the image of God coming closer and closer to him until nothing comes out but him. And you can't make that happen. You must stay in his presence and it happens. One of my favorite quotations. As a student of the Bible... Beholds the Redeemer. There's awakening in the soul, the mysterious power of faith, adoration, and love. Upon the vision of Christ, the gaze is fixed, and the beholder grows into the likeness of that which he adores. It is a supernatural change. By beholding, you become changed. By spending time with him, you change. But let's go a little bit further. See how they're blaming everybody. In verse, verse 14, it says, And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all the cattle and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and thus shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Now watch verse 16. So verse 15, we consider that verse 15 a salvific point, right? This, this is the... This is a messianic prophecy saying Jesus is going to come and crush the head of the serpent. But verse 16 is also part of the gospel. Unto the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. Interesting. And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree, of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for, what's it say? For thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, till thou return unto the ground. For out of it was thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. In these passages, my friends, is the gospel and the gospel's re-educational processes. Pain is now required to get our attention. A struggle is required now to re-educate us to understand that God's way is the best way. Mind you, if there was no pain, you would be just like a leper. You know what a leper is, right? A leper, when they get leprosy, the senses are all deadened. They can burn themselves. Their hands get cut off. They can get run over by a car. They wouldn't feel a thing. And they would be dying all along the way. God has given us pain. Listen so that we can understand that sin is not something to be desired. He's allowed sorrow so we can finally say, okay, Father, your way is the best way. Because if he had not allowed pain, my friend, death would come immediately and we would die. There'd be no salvation. But in this great plan, my friends, God has created or given us a plan. I'm going to pass this. I'm going to pass this. We're going to come back to this. I do want to read this. Let me go back. Desire of Ages 761, paragraph 2. And we're going to see this again. I'm going to show you this again. And my time is nearly done. Satan saw that his disguise was torn away. We're talking about at Calvary. His administration was laid open before the unfallen angels and before the heavenly universe. He had revealed himself. What's the word right there, my friends? A murderer. By shedding the blood of the Son of God, he had uprooted himself from the sympathies of the heavenly beings. Henceforth, his work was restricted. Whatever attitude he might assume, he could no longer await the angels as they came from the heavenly courts and before them accused Christ's brethren of being clothed with the garments of blackness and the defilement of sin. The last link of sympathy between Satan and the heavenly world was broken. This is at Calvary. The link of sympathy between the heavenly world and Lucifer was broken at Calvary. Yes, Satan was not then destroyed. The angels did not even then understand all that was involved in the great controversy. 
So my brain starts to wonder. So if at Calvary they didn't understand all that was involved at Calvary, what more is there needed to be revealed? It says the principles at stake were to be more fully, what's it say, my friends? The principles were to be more fully revealed. And for the sake, now that phrase right there is for the sake. You see that for the sake? That phrase is taken directly from Genesis. For the sake of man, he has to till the ground. For the sake of man, woman must bear children in pain. For the sake of man, this is what it says, Satan's existence must be continued. Now, I hated that sentence. In fact, the very first time I read that sentence, I actually cried. For the sake of man, Satan's existence must be continued. Man, as well as angels, must see the contrast between the prince of light and the prince of darkness. Man, he must choose whom he will serve. Now, I'll tell you why I cried. Because what I did was I replaced some of these words. It says, and for the sake of Andre. Wait, you should put your name there. For the sake of Andre, Satan's existence must be continued. Andre, as well as angels, must see the contrast between the prince of light and the prince of darkness. Andre must choose whom or who he will serve. Put your name there. Put your name there. You see, once we fully understand what the principles are, Satan's existence will be no longer required. Are you following what I'm saying? Once we understand the principles, how the laws work, the intent of God in the creation of men, his intent in creating us to the extent where we don't have to commit sin. We don't have to violate law. He has provided the Spirit and the Holy Ghost so that we can live a life on this present earth in full victory. Man as well as angels must see the contrast between the Prince of Life and the Prince of Darkness. There's more, but I'm going to stop. I want to make an appeal. It's a very simple appeal. It's not complicated. This morning, God has a direct intentionality for you this weekend to see the contrast between the Prince of Light and the Prince of Darkness. How many of you are willing that God would open your eyes? Now, again, the opening of your eyes it may take place right here, like in sermons, because there's going to be other preachers and other teachers of the word, and you might get something you didn't see before. That's fine. But I, I, I actually think that God will reveal this to you in private. I think he's going to open your eyes on a personal level. If you want that. How many want your eyes open? Can I see your hands? If you want your eyes open, let's go to our knees. Our Father in heaven, you are a merciful, loving, patient God. You have never given us what we deserve, but you have always in great love, directed our steps. You have every intent to restore your image in mankind, to give us understanding in regards to the laws of nature and the laws regarding morality. And Father, we are on our knees recognizing that we do not fully understand. We're asking, Father, that you open our eyes. Open our eyes that we may see Jesus like we have never seen him before. Open our eyes that we may see the plan of salvation like we've never understood it before. Draw near to us, Father. Whatever would distract us from having that open eye, Father. Please, give us the strength to beat back that distraction. Father, we desire you. 
we are so busy working for you that we forget you sometimes. Father, please, as you've done for the prophets in the past, open the eyes of the servant to see the great mighty host. Father, please open our eyes to see into the most holy place. We love you, Father. We do ask that you teach us to love you more than anything else in this world. We pray these things in the name of Jesus and we claim the merits of his holy and most precious blood. Amen. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.